I, I, I ministered a couple of Sundays ago about love. Peter said in his epistle, he said, add to your faith virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance. And he goes all the way down to say, and you add to your brotherly love, love. But he doesn't say to add anything to love. Love is maturity. That's where the Holy Spirit is taking us. The Holy Spirit is sanctifying us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And we know that God is love. God is holy. God is just. God is good. God is mighty. But God is love. And of all of the Christian virtues, everything is fulfilled in love. I'm, I'm going to approach this this morning very differently than I normally preach. Because I believe this to be one of the most important messages I think I could ever preach to us. And I want to be very careful for you to understand what God has put in my heart. I was exercising Tuesday. And while I was exercising, the Word of God just started coming up in me. And I just started dwelling upon His Word. And these are things that He gave me that I, that I just desire to share with you this morning. And so I want you to understand it. The Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is love. It doesn't say fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, temperance. Against such there's no law. It says the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit, singular, of the Spirit is love. And the character of love is joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and meekness and temperance and self-control. That's love. That's why love is the maturity of the Christian. When we get to that state, everything has found its full measure. We're not perfected yet. We won't be perfected until we meet Jesus in the air. But we've become mature when we're able to exercise that love of God in its mature state. And so love is the highest of Christian virtues because in love is the fulfillment of every lesser thing. Not that it's really lesser, but it's all the components of love. Everything is there. I also say that love is the greatest of Christian virtues because love will never leave anything undone. Love will do everything that God wants you to do because you love God. Love will do that. Love does not have to be coerced. It does not have to be forced. If sacrifice is required, love will sacrifice. Love will do it. Love will do it if no one else will. That love of God matured in our life will do that. Love will leave nothing undone and love will leave no one out. Please know that. Jesus left no one out of his atonement. Anybody that wants to can come. Most people will not come. And they will go to hell when they die. But the provision he made was for everyone. He left no one out. No group, no race, 
no class of people, no young or old or poor. It does not matter. He included everyone in his love. Many people walked out. Many people turn away. Many people don't want it. I don't want his love. And because of that, they do not have the blessing of his life and of his fellowship and of his healing in their life that he would desire to give them. But it's not because he did not love them. Love is redemptive. I'm not talking about just any love. I'm talking about love is redemptive, the love of God. I'm talking about agape love, unconditional love. I'm talking about love in its full measure. I'm talking about love hanging on a cross. Love is redemptive, not only for those who deserve redemption, but for those who don't. Not only those who are kind to you, but for those who aren't. Not only for those that you know, but for those that you don't know. Not only for those who are trying, but for even those who are not trying. Love is redemptive. That just simply means love goes after them. Love doesn't save people. We know that. Because if love saved people, then everyone that was ever born would be saved and go to heaven. But God saves those who repent and turn to Him for salvation. But love provided salvation for all people. God loves the whole world. And because He loves the whole world, it doesn't mean the whole world is saved. But it does mean that He provided redemption for all men. Discernment can produce division as well as knowledge and virtue. It can produce it. In Peter's list of sanctification that we read a couple of weeks ago, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance long-suffering, and then to brotherly love, love. In that list of sanctification... If you would understand that. Is there not a formidable religion? Or is not every formidable religion that exists on earth today, does, do not all of them contain to some degree these qualities that Peter is telling us to grow in? Maybe not in Jesus Christ. But Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses and Islam and Buddhism all have a measure of temperance in their teachings. They all require faith. They all require knowledge. And do they not all possess to some degree brotherly kindness? They do. I read a thing on Facebook from an ISIS individual. I just saw it was a picture of him and it said... My brother's got my back. There's a phileo affection, even in Islam, to those that are a part of that particular faith. There's this brotherly love. But agape, unconditional love, does not exist in anything other than Jesus Christ. The willingness to sacrifice for one's own enemies 
the willingness to lay your life down for the most undeserving, the worst, the most corrupt, even your own murderers, is agape love. It is the love of Jesus Christ. And only in Jesus Christ, of all of the religions in the world that have implements or elements of Peter's list of sanctification, though they don't come from Jesus or the Spirit of God, and they, they may be things, they're still the principles taught there. You do not find the agape love of God in anything other than Jesus Christ and mature Christianity. Mature Christianity. The greatest need of the believer is to mature. And it's very important for the believer who is maturing to understand what his faith must be in that maturing. If you have faith and you believe that maturing in Jesus Christ is to be a Bible scholar or to have disciplines in your life that have controlled temper, then you're going to fall short of what Jesus is trying to bring you to, and that is full love. Which in fullness of love, or in agape love, all of the lesser things are contained. All of them. Because agape love will leave nothing out. All of these things are found in all of these religions, except for agape love, to some degree and to some measure. And I must stress, though not by the Spirit of God, and not in Jesus Christ, but in their particular faith. They have all of these elements of, a, of an appearance of holiness, an appearance of separation, an appearance of abstinence, and so forth. Just consider for a moment the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. And I'm not going to turn there to read it. Most of you are very familiar with this church. And if you're not, I'll give you a quick overview of it. This is a church that Paul founded. It is a church that Timothy pastored. It is a church that John himself ministered in. And after these men, and before John passed away, obviously, but after all of the other apostles were dead, John is given this message from Jesus Christ to the church at Ephesus. And, and he gives all of these accommodations, accolades. He said, I, I see and I know I am fully aware of how hard you work for me. And that's good. I see your labor that is good and your patience. You have patience and that is wonderful. You cannot bear that which is evil. I also commend you for that. You judge things. You discern things. You test things. And you approve what is true and you approve what is false. You've got all of these things that are good. But you have left your first love. And because you have left your first love, if you do not repent and get this back, all these other things can be done without love. If you don't restore this in your life, I will come quickly and remove your candlestick. Very serious what Jesus is telling us. You can walk in the word and not be matured in love. 
You can memorize your Bible. You can memorize Scripture. You can know Hebrew and you can know Greek. You can, you can be a scholarly teacher and not have love. 1 Corinthians 13 proves this. You can have your doctrine down perfect. You can be absolutely flawless in what you believe and how you believe and not be perfected in love. You can discern all mysteries. You can discern all spirits. You can discern everything that's true. And you can discern everything that's false. And still not have love. According to John, and you can turn there. 1 John chapter 1. Walking in the light with Jesus is walking in love with the brothers. Now, I just, I love the Word of God. I think the Word of God is the most incredible physical thing that we have to be able to know God. Physical. We have the Holy Ghost spiritual. But I love the Word of God. And I love to teach the Word of God. And I love the way the Word of God explains itself. It's not open for interpretation. So I I thank God. The Word is is what we have to have. And he says this in verse 6. Or or verse 6 and 7. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, As he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That means you're you're being sanctified by him. Now, if we say that we have fellowship with Jesus and walk in darkness, in verse 6 it says, we lie, we're not doing the truth. If we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with him. Well, chapter 2, verse 9 Tells you what that is. So don't redefine it. It says this in verse 9. He that says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even until now. So some people might say, I'm in the light because I'm in the word and I'm living by the word and, and everything. But if we hate our brothers... We're in darkness because walking in the light does not say it means walking in the word. It means walking in love for the brothers because if we're walking in that love, everything else is contained. The love for the word, the love for truth, the love for the things of God, everything's contained in that, but in a redemptive way. That's critical. In a redemptive way. Very important for us to understand. And so he says this, and he says in verse 10, He that loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no occasion of stumbling in in him because he sees. He sees this. He understands this. And so Paul says to us, you know, we should grow in knowledge. He wants in Philippians, I desire that your love may increase and abound even as your knowledge and your judgment abounds. I know there's a positive and a negative side to what he's teaching us. 
I believe Paul is saying this, that as your discernment grows and as your knowledge of things grow, I want your love to grow. But he's also telling us this, as your love is growing, have some knowledge and discernment in your love. Because it could be, you know, you could have some single woman that's just driving down the road and, you know, well, I want to be love and I want to love for Jesus and I want to take care of people. And Pastor Lee showed us the video of the little child in New York City in five degree weather with a T-shirt on. And I don't want to be that kind of Christian. So I see somebody walking down the road and, well, I want to be loved. So I'm going to put them in my car and I'm going to take them home. And, and you might be raped and you might be murdered. So it says, have some judgment. In your love. Have, have, have discernment in your love. I understand that. But it does mean as well that as I'm discerning people and I'm discerning things and I'm discerning situations that are going on with the family of God that I live with every day, I need to grow in love. Because if all I can do is spot and pick out what's wrong with this, what's wrong with that, what's right with them, what's not right with them, and I don't have love, that will become very divisive and abusive in the body of Christ. It will cut people off. It will separate. It will divide. And this is not the will of God. It is not the purpose of the Holy Spirit for these, for these things to happen or to take place. And so he instructs us in this. I want to stress this, if I could stress it over and over and over again. Love is redemptive. Agape love is redemptive. I want you to understand, love is kind. Where fullness of love is, there is kindness. Where fullness of love is, there's humility. And there's brokenness. Where there's agape love. Where fullness of love is, there's gentleness. There's patience. There's joy. Where fullness of love is, where mature love is. Love is not angry. Love does not have a chip on its shoulder. Now, I'm not preaching this from any way whatsoever trying to tell you I'm I'm mature and I'm perfect and, and you're not. I, I'm not. All right? I'm not. And that, to me, is the safe road to take. Dear God, sanctify me and let me grow up to where I have mature love. Because that's what I want. Anything less than mature love can be darkness. Please listen to this. Darkness means obscurity. It means the inability to see clearly. What is the inability to see? Ourselves. Darkness is not necessarily the inability for me to see you and to see what's wrong with you or to discern something that's wrong here. Darkness is the inability to see myself clearly. That's why John says in 1 John chapter 1, in the whole context of this, in verse 8, he says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And so if we're going to fellowship with the body of Christ, right? And if we're going to walk in the light, which is to love one another, right? Walking in the light is to love our brothers, And if we're going to do that, then I must understand that though I may find things in your life that are not glorifying to Jesus Christ, and you will find things in my life that are not glorifying to Jesus Christ, 
True love is redemptive. True love is going to sacrifice itself to recover you or to help you or to bring you to Jesus Christ. Can't make you come. Can't make you get right. Can't make you repent. But I will work in your life to bring you there. I will not cut you off. I will not separate myself from you. You may separate yourself. But I will not separate myself from you. I'm talking about the brothers. Not talking, talking about that within the body of Christ. I'm not talking about necessarily a brother that is refusing to repent. I'm not talking about a brother that is content in rebellion. Because even in those regards where somebody who calls themselves a brother that's living in sin. And the Bible says... You're not to eat with such a one. You're you're not to have anything, no fellowship with such a one. What is the point of that? The point of that is redemptive. In Corinthians, when the young man was in relationships with his father's wife, Paul said to that church, hand him over to Satan. For what purpose? That his soul might be saved. It's redemptive. It's redemptive. We want to redeem him. We want to save him. We want to bring him back. We want to bring him to God. So we have to take actions that might be somewhat painful. But love will do that. That it might redeem and recover and restore those that have fallen. And so we have to understand if we're in relationship with one another. I might see things in you. But if I'm walking in the light, I'm going to be fully aware with everything that's in me. And before I just start dealing with all kinds of things in your life, there are planks that I have to get out of my own eye. We are to judge. We are to judge things. We're to judge one another. We're to judge situations. We're to judge circumstances. We are to judge. But we are to be careful how we judge For with the judgment we judge, we will be judged. So have righteous judgment. Judge with mercy. Judge with redemption. Judge with hope. That's how you want to be judged. That's how you're going to want to be treated. So John preaches that walking in the light is loving the brothers. And we must realize that to maintain this fellowship, not only is something wrong with you, something's wrong with me. And I need grace like you need grace. And I need help like you need help. And I need repentance like you need repentance. Come on. Let's go to Jesus with this. Let's go to Him. Let's get into His Word. And allow His Word to minister into our hearts. And give the Holy Spirit that Word to be able to minister to us the things of Christ in our life. Love is maturity. Because love will discern. Love will. Love will test all things. Love will judge. Love will judge. Love will suffer. But always, 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 love is redemptive. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Love is always redemptive. Anything less than agape love has the brutal potential 
of dividing the body of Christ where it didn't need to be divided. Causing separation where God did not necessarily want there to be separation. Caused divisions where God did not want there to be divisions. And have hierarchies of spiritual superiority where God never wanted them to exist. I read this from Elizabeth Elliot. She talks about forgiveness. She gives this situation of a woman that she had met. And the woman says to Elizabeth Elliot, I won't forgive him until I can mean the words. It's what a woman said to me of her husband at whose hands she had suffered a good deal. What did she mean? That when she got over it, she would be ready to forgive? That she was going to wait until she felt good about him? Or felt inclined to forgive? Was she hoping that the man might do good deeds sufficient to outweigh the evil he had done to her and would thus deserve to be forgiven? None of the above will work, says Elizabeth Elliot, and I believe the Word of God. Forgiveness is a decision to move toward Christ. He calls us to forgive. And no matter how great the sin committed, no matter how bitterly we have been hurt or how devastating the effects of sin have been on our life or on those we love, we must simply move on the basis of God's word alone. That is the act of faith that is required of Christians. We must lay aside all fear of results, all proud insistencies on apologies, all human arguments about what good or what harm may come of it. And in true meekness, by the grace of God, do it. Forgive freely, fully, and forever as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. We do that in faith. In grace, according to his word. Sometimes we discover in a lack of maturity. And we have knowledge. And we have virtue. And we personally have self-control. And we personally have ascended in levels of spirituality. It's very possible sometimes if we have not come to maturity, it's very possible that we will see sins in other people and in other things. And we will say, I judge something is wrong. And it could be very true. I judge something is wrong. I judge or discern that you have a wrong spirit. Therefore, I am separating myself from you. Of course, I love you. Now, it's all a judgment. It's all, there's no facts. It's just a discernment. It's just what I judge, what I discern. I've got no facts on it. I've seen people cut off from this church by a discernment with no facts. And say, therefore, I'm separating from you. Of course, I love you. And of course, I will forgive you when you get it right. And when you make it right. Those exact words may not be said, but that attitude is often conveyed even among Christians. But that is not agape love. That is not Christ. That is not what God said to sinners, right? 
God did not say, of course I love you and of course I will forgive you when you go get it right and when you change. He didn't say that, did he? Or who would be saved? So before the sinner was ever changed, before the sinner was ever converted, before the sinner was ever convicted, God, without any measure of change from the sinner, came to the man offered forgiveness to the man and said, I'm willing to pay all of your debts because you can't and I will and I'll die on the cross to pay all of your debts. That's agape love and frankly, friends, that is supernatural and that does not exist in me apart from him. And that is mature love. He went to the cross to make it right. He sacrificed himself to make a way for the worst to come to him. He did not abandon or separate himself from people But he came instead among us and he helped us and continues to help us until by his grace alone we are conformed to his image and are perfected. That's his love. That's what his love does. No abandonment. No forsaking. I'm not leaving you. But he let people leave. He let people walk away. If they didn't want him, if they didn't believe in him... If they didn't want his message, they didn't want his truth, they didn't want his doctrine, like the rich young ruler, I'm not prepared to sell everything and follow you, and he turns and he walks away. Jesus didn't go, whoa, 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 come on, I can compromise a little bit. Love is not going to compromise the glory of God. It's not going to compromise the truth of God. But love let him go, and I believe with all of my heart that still by the Spirit of God, love kept going after that boy. Somehow in conviction, somehow in truth, it kept going after him, kept going after him, eventually went to a cross for all of mankind to say, listen, if you won't come to me, it's not my fault. I did not abandon you. I did not forsake. But this Christianity that can walk away, this Christianity that can forsake, this Christianity that can abandon because something's wrong with you or something's wrong with me. And it doesn't stay and it doesn't fight and it doesn't come and carry and help and work and believe and hope all things and endures all things. I'm not saying it's not Christianity. It's just not mature. It's not mature. Matureness will never do that. Redemptive love gives. It works for you. It upholds you. It is patient with you. We've all suffered. All of us in our lives have suffered. I have regretfully failed to give this love. Convictedly failed to give this love. The love that would be exercised through my life in in my hopes might be brotherly love. But I have failed in so much of my Christian life To exercise agape love. I want to. I'm beginning to. Because of devastating brokenness. That I've been walking through. But I want to. I'm not there. I want to be there. I I hope I can stand up here before you one day and say I'm there. I don't know that love would ever say that. (laughs) But you know what I mean. Because this is not some 
unattainable place. The Apostle Paul got there. I think Peter got there. I think multitudes of people got there. When they'd say things like, I am the chief of all sinners. How can I not love you? How can I abandon you? I'm the worst. I'd have to abandon myself first. How could they do that? They couldn't if, if they really believed that about themselves. So what? who could Paul ever run into in his life and say, you know what? I can't offer myself to you anymore. Now he might let people go and he might even instruct the church. Listen, they're calling themselves brothers and they're into all this stuff. Come on. We got to see them saved and repent from this. Quit treating them like they're Christians. Let's let them know that this is not what goes on in the family of God and separate yourself from them until they have to admit this themselves and repent and come to God and be free from that. It's always redemptive. I've suffered at the hands of it. I've suffered at the hands of a lack of agape love. I'll tell you, nothing is more abusive in the house of God than the abuse of zealous people doing the will of God without being grown in His love. Nothing is more abusive. A sinner never hurts the church as badly as people who have grown to great heights in Jesus Christ but fall short of love. A sinner's never hurt the church that bad. Alcoholic never walked in here and wrecked First New Testament Church. An adulterer never walked in here and wrecked it. But people that climb the heights of spirituality have discernment and knowledge. I don't like the way Christianity's going. I don't like the things that I see. Instead of that disposition of mature love which finds itself in joy and kindness and gentleness and meekness coming out, it just seems to be anger. It seems to be hatred towards them. It seems to be a despising of this and a despising of that. And we can hate what is evil. We can despise what is evil. But we don't fight flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And so that love of God that matures, we've all suffered at the hands of it. Every one of us, we've suffered at the hands of that. It's people that feel, I have a right to. I have a right to this. I have a right to do this. I'm going to tell you something. There are two things that should govern us. Number one, when it concerns the house of Jesus Christ, one thing that should concern us preeminently is that this is his house and he is to have the preeminence in it. So before you talk to one of his kids, talk to him. He should have the preeminence. Pray, fast, seek the Lord. I learned that from Dave Hunt. I learned that from others. Weeping and crying and praying over people they discern things about. Until they could weep over their souls and pray for them and, and, and make every effort to contact them about something they're teaching or something they're propagating. They would refuse to do anything publicly because they feared God. That's mature love to me. And then he would come with warnings and he would come with, with cautions for the body of Christ about these particular teachers because he talked with them and he wept for their souls and he offered himself to them. To help him get right and to be truthful in the word of God. So Jesus is to have the preeminence in his house. Jesus is to have the preeminence. And the second thing is the Holy Ghost will not hurt his family. The Holy Ghost 
will not divide his family. Divisions come because of doctrine and rebellion and sin. But he's not the cause of it. It's the rebellion that's the cause of it. It's the sin that's the cause of it. And sin doesn't come from him. But he welcomes anyone back. He welcomes all back. That's his heart. That's his desire. He wants to take us to heaven. And he doesn't want to lose one. He doesn't want to lose one of us. He wants to take us back home. And he wants to get us there safely. We have to understand, Paul said to the Ephesians, endeavor, expend your energies to maintain the unity of the Spirit. May expend your energies. And if I could, and I have time, please, please let me read this with you. Please read this with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to see the heart of Paul, which I believe is the heart of the Holy Ghost, because actually the Holy Ghost inspired this. Would you just go with me through some scriptures real quick and we'll close? Just a few minutes, please. 1 Corinthians 1.10. This is the desire, Paul. Now, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you says, I'm of Paul, Apollos, Peter, Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? His plea, please have the same mind. Please have the same judgment. Please think the same thing. Because the Holy Ghost is not schizophrenic. Please. Don't let there be contentions in the house of God. Please. That's the plea of the Holy Ghost. Chapter 6, verse 5. He says this. He says, I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that should be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goes to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. This is a fault among you, because you go to law one with another. Why do you, this is so important, why do you not rather take the wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Just take it. Just suffer it. I was wrong. All right, get over it. Get over it. That, that's what he's telling. I'm not saying I can do this. I, in my natural self, I can't get over things. I can't. But this is what he's telling me. I don't want there to be contentions in the body of Christ. There needs to be maturity, spirituality. Somebody spiritual enough. That's mature, governed by the Holy Ghost, who can come in among the brothers and take care. Why do we have all this garbage put out on Facebook? Who would want to go to a Christian church when you see so much garbage? Of Christians attacking Christians and spewing out such horrific things against Christ and the church and so forth like that. Keep it in the family. Keep it in the family. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Because there's multitudes of lost people on Facebook. Multitudes. 
In 1 Corinthians 9, 19, or whatever social media you do. Now listen to this. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant to all, that I might gain the more. That, that's Paul's whole attitude. I'll serve everybody because I want to gain them. I want to gain them for Christ. You know what he's saying when I, when I suffer so that I might gain? I'll humble myself. I'll humble myself. If you say I'm this, I'll humble myself. I'm not going to argue and fight and kick back. All right, I'll do that so I can gain you. I gain your friendship. I gain your, your life. I gain you for Christ. I gain the opportunity to speak to you more. I gain the opportunity to share with you more of Jesus Christ. How many people have absolutely slammed the doors shut on being able to witness for Christ because they did not seek to gain and by that suffer so that they could have opportunities to talk more with the people that they work with. But they took one shot at it and may never get the opportunity again. He goes on and he says this to the Jews. I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, speaking of the Gentiles as without law. But I'm not without law to God. I'm under the law of Christ. That I might gain them that are without law. To the weak I became as weak that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. So you see somebody suffering, you see somebody dealing with depression. So what do you do? I want to gain you, right? I want to gain you. Now, maybe I'm a person that never deals with depression. That's not true. But just say, if I was a person never given to depression, I'm, I'm Christine Odom 24-7, all right? Just totally on my mountaintops walking with Jesus. But So I'm never given to depression, and you're given to depression. I don't understand it. I don't understand it because I don't have that weakness in my life. I don't have that 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 tendency in me to pull down to that. So I come up to you, and I'm not trying to be all things to you. I'm just giving you the Scriptures and the Word of God and says, you need to get out of this. You need to walk with God. You're in sin. Do these things. I'm not trying to... I might be cutting off every opportunity. I come, and I want to gain you. I want to suffer. If you're weak, I want to come with weakness to you. I don't want to break you. I want to bring you to Christ so that you can be strong. I want to be sensitive. I want to understand the hurt and the damage that you have been through so that I can come into your life as a minister of Jesus Christ and if I have to pick you up and carry you out of this that you will you will listen to me you will follow me you will walk with me so that I can walk you to Jesus Christ he's saying this I just want to do that if you're weak I'm weak I made all things to all men verse 22 that I might by all means save some I do this for the gospel's sake that I might be partaker thereof with you. Chapter 10, verse 23. Listen to this. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast and you be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat it. Don't ask questions for conscience sake. But if any man say to you, this is offered in sacrifice to idols, eat not for his sake. You still could. But for his sake, don't eat it. 
for conscience sake. He says that. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that for which I give thanks? Whether therefore you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, so it's not just about eating, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense neither to the Jews or Gentiles or to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things. So he's a man pleaser. To, for the gospel's sake. Sometimes we think this prophet edge is against men. So I can declare the truth. But no, I'm a man pleaser. I want to please people for the gospel's sake that I can win them to Jesus Christ. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. People know that I genuinely care about them. I genuinely care about their welfare and how they're doing. Chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15. Listen to this. Because this is what happens to the ministry of love. This is what happened. You, you, you would be amazed, but the more you love, the more you're becoming sanctified, the more you're maturing to love like God loves, you're not going to be rewarded for it. You're not going to be patted on the back. Get ready. Satan's guns are blazing against your life. You're going to love and you're going to be hated, hated, rejected by it. So he says, so what should your response be? Verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 12. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. So the more you hate me, the more I'm going to love you. Wow, that's supernatural. That's supernatural. Ephesians 4 talks about grieving the Holy Spirit by the way we talk. I wish I had time to read these things. I don't want to lose you. I can tell you're getting restless. All right? Ephesians 4 says, Be careful how you speak. Let your words be words of grace and exhortation. Don't grieve the Holy Ghost of God. Be kind. Be tender-hearted to one another. Forgive one another. As God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. That's the only way. Unity in the body of Christ is a miracle. Unity in my own life is a miracle. I argue with myself more than you could ever argue with me. If I could separate from anybody, I'd separate from me. I'd, I'd rather hang out with the worst of you than hang out with me. If I can, I'd like to say this. I'd like to read this to you. And you can stand with me, Jordan, if you would come. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. I'm talking about mature love. It's convicting, isn't it? I want you to listen to this. It's the word of God. For unto you, in Philippians 1, 29, unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but to suffer for his sake. And there comes a point when the Holy Ghost it's going to speak to you about all your problems. And he's going to say, you know what? You just need to humble yourself. And you need to be quiet. And you need to suffer it. And you don't need to separate yourself. And you don't need to say, I'm never going back there again. They hurt me. They offended me. No, he has the preeminence, not your feelings. He has the, God, can I leave this church? Well, not that way. Yeah, you can leave, but not that way. Get it right. Well, if I get it right, I won't want to leave. That's my point. 
having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Now listen, he says this, and this is Paul speaking to the first New Testament, all right? If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies fulfill my joy, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Is that a beautiful religion? Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, every one of you esteem everyone else as better than yourself. Oh, I could go to the altar now. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. That's how we're supposed to prefer one another. That's what God did. Redemptive love. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And how God has exalted Jesus for the willingness of his heart to suffer for the people that hated God. That he could demonstrate God's love. Absolutely tremendous. I read 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 10. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake. That they also. That they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I want to endure for you. I want to do that. It would be easy to please one group or to please another group, but I just want to please God and minister into your life in every way that I can and seek to please every person that I can so that I might have an avenue to minister into your life, that you might know I'm sincere, that you might know that I care about you, but I want to endure things. I want to, I want to endure the attack against the gospel of His grace for your sake, for the liberty of Jesus Christ in our life. He goes on and he says in verse 24, the servant of the Lord must not strive. I repent because I do. He must be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, and patient. In meekness, humility, not in arrogance, coming down, but in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. You are so wrong. Well, I have to minister that in your life in meekness because you're opposing yourself and you may not even know it. So in meekness, I want to come and I want to minister to your life. If God... Because I can't do it, and you can't do it, so I'm not going to scold you if you don't do what I don't want you to do. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. So you want to minister? Why? Because you know the enemy is trying to devour 
the enemy is trying to destroy. I'm almost through. I want Peter to speak to us for just a second. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Listen to what he says. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion. Do you know what that word compassion means in, in this verse? It means feelings. Have feelings for one another. It's not jobs. It's not a duty. Have feelings for each other. Let those of compassion. One of another. Love is brethren. Be pitiful. You know what that word pitiful means? It means tender hearted. Sometimes when you talk about being tender hearted, talk about being compassionate, talk about being kind, it just seems like sometimes that's attacked as being so wishy washy and so pitiful. But so be it. Call me pitiful. But I want to be tender hearted towards you. I want to be, because he's that way to me. Be tender hearted, be courteous. Be courteous. What a wonderful religion. Don't render evil for evil. Don't render railing for railing. But instead give a blessing. Knowing that this is what you're called to. And that you should inherit a blessing. I want this Christ. I want this Jesus. And I want to be like him. And I want to love like him. I'm not there. But I tell you this. I think it's one of the most important messages that I could give this church. Because this is where he wants to take us and this is what he wants us to be. I'm not asking for anybody in this room to come and say, okay, I'm going to do that and I'm going to be that. Because we, we totally missed it. But it's to turn to God with sincerity and say, God, take me there. And get ready. Because the only way there is brokenness. My God, and you will see what you you will see for yourself what you really are. You will see for yourself what you really are. And because of that, compassion will start to come out of your life. Courteousness, pity will come out of your life because you will see what you are as He is sanctifying you. Because the only thing in the way of you being like Christ is you. And that's a hard thing to remove. He stands here with healing in his hands to perfect that which concerns us, to help us right what we've wronged, and to make our church one. I want to be one. I want us to think the same thing. I want us to mind the same thing. I want us to be courteous to one another. I want us to be kind and tender-hearted to one another. I want us to esteem everybody in this room as better than ourselves. I want to do that. I want the kids in this room to think that I really believe they're greater than I am or could ever be. That my whole life is lived for them. I want to be that. I don't want anybody in this room to pass through this church and not be given through my life an agape love. And you know, they may be a devil. And they may live a devil and they may die as a devil. But I pray if they'd pass through this life that way, they'll be able to say one thing, Lee Ship loved me. He did everything he could to get me to Jesus. And I would not come.
And if I could, and if I knew who the worst one in here was besides me, I'd walk with you everywhere to help you walk with Him. I'm not talking about everywhere. Sin or rebellions or things like that. I'm not talking about supporting you in your rebellion. That's not tender-hearted. It's calloused. I could care less if you go to heaven or hell. That was the attitude. No, I care. And I want you to go there. I want you to be all right. People in this room, I've come to you. You know it. I've come to your work. I came with a desire in my heart for things that are in your life. I've come. I've sat with you. I've offered myself to you. I've talked to you about struggles in your life. And all I could do to help you be free. Because I need the same thing. Because I sit in a pastor's office. Doesn't mean I don't wrestle with things. And deal with things. I'm not better than you. I need him as much as you do. And I want this to be a house of love. I want us to be mature Christians. So that everybody, and it won't be easy. You will be hammered. You will be hammered for it. You know what I'm talking about. You will be. But you'll never have fellowship with him. Like you will. My God. What a wonderful religion. To love one another.